0: All right. So I'm really excited right now because I am seated next to two women, two badasses. We were just calling Dr. Michelle Ward the PhD having Barbie looking badass. But I think that that also applies to you now. I don't think you have no. your PhD, but that's no, you're I, a badass. That's not a credential
1: that I got. Yeah,
0: <laughs> now listen, I don't either, but, um, you're both badasses to me. And you both have your shit together. And I'm super excited to talk to you specifically, especially because Melissa and I just got done recording uh, regarding the Gilgo murders case, the serial killer case. Have you been asked
2: about that, by the way? A little bit, a little bit, not um, a ton. Because in my world, this wasn't that unusual, his case. Okay, But so yeah, I've talked a little bit about it. Okay. Yeah. Has, so
1: has
0: the media reached out to you yeah. to give quotes? Yeah. Yes. All right. We will go uh, into it. Yeah, we'll go into it. Go ahead. Yeah. So but I mean, you nobody can introduce no, I, I want you to tell us what is your background, you know, kind of how you got into this. And what are you doing today? And of course, at the end of the show, I want you to plug all the things you're doing. And I know it's a lot.
2: Because <laughs> um, you said First whatever. of all, thank you for the nicest intro ever. I mean it's it's lies. I mean, unless you're talking about mature Barbie, but
0: no, no, (laughs) I met you at CrimeCon and I knew like last year in Vegas, and I was like, I really like her. Mm. And you're one of those that um looks can be deceiving. You're obviously you're strikingly gorgeous, so it can be intimidating, but you're also very highly educated and you have your shit together career-wise. And so people might uh think, oh gosh, she's just gonna be so serious and buttoned up. (laughs) But I got a vibe from you that you're a lot of fun. Right.
2: Yeah, especially in Vegas. In Vegas. I'm a lot of fun in Vegas.
0: <laughs> we need okay. a girls trip. We need We need to go on the road. Um, I'm ready. Say less. Okay. Yeah. Tell us how you got in, what are you doing today, your career background and
2: kind of like what you do, what All projects right. you work on. So I'm technically, um, well, I have a PhD in clinical neuroscience, but that was studying neuroscience on a human population, strictly aggressive, violent behavior. So instead of rats and monkeys, i you know, studied humans. So career-wise, we call it either a neurocriminologist or a criminal psychologist. Okay. So it's all very confusing and I can't spell any of it, but (laughs) at one point I could. And essentially I studied the biological and genetic underpinnings of violent crime, because at the time everybody was just studying the environmental stuff. But Interesting. That's, yeah. And, and it's true. There's so much environmental influence on aggressive behavior, but it's not all of it. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, there are so many people who come from really traumatic backgrounds who end up being fine. Okay. True. Speaking
1: of that, so I don't know if you know my background, but my father is known as the happy face yeah. serial killer. And that's why I'm so excited actually to be talking with you because I get – numerous questions that i can only speak from my experience but not from a scientific approach and that's why i'm excited to talk to you about it but um the one question i get all the time is uh, nature versus nurture Mm -hmm. that's what makes a serial killer and then the second question is aren't you scared that you're going to give that genetic gene to your children that you're going to you know raise a serial killer so, when I found out, uh, Dr. Ward, that you have a podcast on how not to raise a serial yeah. killer, I'm like, she is the perfect <laughs> guest today. Oh, yeah. For absolutely. my own curiosity, you know, um, because of my background, but also for the topic we're going to talk about, which is Rex Heerman's double life. Mm-hmm. Because another question that I wish would just go to bed already is, how did you not know? How, you know, in Rex Heumann's case, how did the wife not know? Mm.
2: Yeah. It they should they usually be complicit. don't. They yeah, usually don't Of course know. not. And thank you, by the way. I I did know about your dad. I wasn't going to lead with that because oh. that's awkward. Like, hey, nice to meet you. I hear your dad's. speak.
0: Although, <laughs> oh, you'd yeah. be surprised. So many people who are into crime, probably a crime con, oh. They'd be like, oh, my God, your dad was a serial killer. Like,
2: what was it like? I
0: mean, you I know just, what's
1: awkward, though, Michelle, is when I go to parties and they don't know my background, they'll be like, oh, you know, on um, holiday parties, especially, they'll be like, what are you going to do with your parents for the holidays? Oh. And I want to say, well, um... Mm. You know, my mom's dead from cancer. Yeah. Uh, and my dad's in prison. Yeah. You're like... And, and that's then everybody that person dies, just retreats just like, into themselves. Well, their butthole clenches. With, like, Excuse me. They, yeah, yeah, they retreat with curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're
2: like, God, please tell me more. But so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also like, does that is that contagious? Like, are you yes. going to throw those genes on me if you sneeze? And there's all this misconception about, you know, you either you are from such an abusive background that you're going to be weird, or you are carrying this constellation of genes. I'm glad you you... said
1: that because people say, oh, you're so normal. I'm like, I'm not really, but, (laughs) but in the context of what they're referring to, yes, I am normal. But, um, you know, it's, it, that's one of the questions that they or one of the
2: observations that they made. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because what I also do is I'm also a, a jury consultant, a litigation consultant, and I work on high profile, crimes a lot, you know, those, those court cases and the kids of the criminals will come to court and they'll get harangued by the media, Mm. they'll get stalked. Mm. So it's not just casual kind of true crime fascination. Actually, even in the legal world, if you are the offspring of a criminal, I remember Phil Spector's kids came and like one twin sat on this side and the other twin sat on that side and took different positions in the case. And they, it was so popular, the consumption, people wanting to be near somebody who's related to a killer is, it's it's a bit of a negative cachet, but a cachet nonetheless. Yeah. That's creepy.
0: I think that well, we have so many questions for you. You're, I think, you're going to drop a lot of knowledge on us and some insight. Well, I, it's not I, you're, you always, <laughs> you're very humble, but I just know that you know your stuff, and you are the perfect guest, like Melissa said, for this particular topic. Before we do that, though, like. You strike me as somebody super fun, like I said. Are you up for a game of Would You Rather just to break the ice? Ooh, are we going to drink? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, um, mm-hmm. I walked in here and somebody said, "Let's get the shot right." And I'm like, "No, I want say margaritas." Shots, Someone take shots, shots? I want margaritas. <laughs> margaritas. <laughs> she's all gonna They do have beer in the fridge in the studio. I will say. Okay, good because we just wanted to break the ice a little bit. We're going to be talking about some things that are a little dark. I will obviously. say it was it was
1: super fun creating these questions because I don't even know how I would answer them. I, I don't
0: either, Uh-oh. but that's why it's going hey, to be. I'm going to let
1: you, Jamie, lead.
0: You ask okay. the first question, and I'll ask sure. the next question. Okay, so and uh, we haven't <laughs> had a chance to really go over these notes. We we did this on the card down here because we thought it'd be fun as the three of us to come up with these. But so the first question would be. Would you rather be mansplained by a young bro from UCLA, nonetheless, thank you. Your school. Who has no, your, USC. I'm USC. But oh. But that, okay. No, that's, that's why we did it. Oh, Because we know you went to USC, and okay. I'm like, he's a young bro oh, he knows from everything. U, rival school, UCLA. He has your degree, mm. and you have to sit there and take it, or would you rather join an MLM? And if so, which one and why?
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm going to go with the mansplaining guy I can bitch slap later. Oh, like, Oh, I love this. And, you know, you make a good point. It's like an MLM is just,
0: you're, you're going to have to call everybody. your family. You're going to have to hound them on Facebook Messenger. Hey, babe. Like, you just really, you're probably going to lose friends I, over I, it. Yeah.
2: I mean, I lose friends weekly with the stuff I say, but <laughs> I just I feel like, like I could handle the- The, the bro? The bro.
0: You I don't know. You can handle a bro. And we we came up with this question because we're like- Knowing you're a female in what is probably a male-dominated industry, right?
2: right? And, and you're beautiful. Thank you. I don't see this, but I love you. Uh, you, you're, will you marry
0: me? Yes, I will. <laughs> okay, <good>. Wait, <laughs> you're getting married in November, details, so details. it's you're already taken. We take. Am I? Yeah. Oh, I like the Mexico wedding idea though. Oh. But you probably have had some experiences uh, that are unique to a woman in a male-dominated industry who looks the way you do. And I know you probably are sick of me saying it, but you
2: know I'm not ever
0: going to get okay, sick good. of <laughs> you saying <laughs> okay, okay, that. Good. That it's always going to be problematic on some level, but certainly we've worked long enough in this industry to know that it, maybe it's gotten better, but like it was really the wild, wild west back in the day. It was. it was. As to what, um, a man, and I hate, I'm not male bashing, but like all my experiences were men saying things to me and doing things to me that really should have never happened in general, but certainly not in the workplace. Um, and, and it, I think it has gotten better, but I just, to some degree, it still happens.
2: Well, I honestly feel part of the reason I went all the way with the PhD is because I wasn't taken as seriously. Oh, and I think I could have done the research I did at a master's level. But you had to double prove yourself. Yeah. And I just felt like I, I didn't really have a voice at the table until I got it. And then now, even when I work in, Mm -hmm. as a litigation consultant and, you know, attorneys pay me for my opinion. Like, how should we tell this story? How, which witnesses do we need? Let's prepare the witnesses. Let's pick the jury. You know, there are a lot of times they'll look at my male colleagues before they'll look at me. And then someone will be like, well, let's ask her. And, and it, sometimes if I don't come forward. And here's the thing. Females with PhDs never insist you call them doctor. And I'm, I'm included in that.
1: Why is that? Do you feel that you're asking to, for an entitlement or to be treated special? I
2: don't know. It's almost
0: like the audacity of a woman to, it's almost like you're braggadocious or something and you don't deserve to be. That's the way I, ca- or yeah. maybe
1: it's because you just don't, you want people to feel comfortable. Yeah, that's around what you. It is. So like as a female, you have a nurturing. Um, you know, perspective and
2: you don't want to make anybody feel less than or inferior. You want to disarm people so that you have a relationship Mm -hmm. with them. And I don't know if that's exclusive to females, but yeah, Yeah. I know that I, I prefer to be disarmed and I prefer to disarm. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is that, and also I just got to a point where I didn't care. Like you don't have to listen to me. You just paid me an exorbitant amount of money for my opinion, but don't listen to it. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Go lose your case yeah, or, you know, whatever it's, I care a lot less now um than I did in the beginning. But my my mom would send packages that didn't just say Dr. Michelle Ward. Doctor would be spelled out. Oh, <laughs> D-R. D-O-C-T-O-R. I love uh, it. And like so she was, it was worth it just to So when you get
1: married, are your announcements gonna say Dr. Michelle Ward?
2: No, not not Mrs. M- no. <laughs> uh, no, Mrs. Ward is my mother. Well, she's passed away. But yeah. yeah, no, I I didn't do either. But I certainly didn't take anybody's last name because um A, I really like my last name. I do too. B, I'm like, 50% of us are going to get divorced.
1: (laughs) It's a lot of work to
2: change. It really is a lot of work. work. Your
1: passport.
0: It's a pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was like the big, it's always the last thing you do. It's like, we had been married for quite a while. And it's like, so are you going to go do the thing with the last name? I'm like, yeah, I'll get around to it. And I did eventually, but, and it was hard for me because, um, my two older kids have their father's last name and I didn't want to, I felt like I was detaching from them. And, but I knew like my, my bond with my kids is so strong. It's not about a last name. And it was also weird for me to keep that last name and be married to this man. And so I just, I took my new husband's, I call him new, we've been married over a decade, but, uh, his last name—that's what I wanted to do. But I certainly would have no issue also just going back to Jamie Craig, you know, my my maiden name. Um, but I just knew pretty quickly I did not want to take—I didn't want to keep my previous husband's name. No, it's awkward. My bond with my kids is like—they're like mom. They don't care. Okay, please. so I'm the awkward one. I kept my ex-husband's last name. Uh, but that's—but uh,
1: Melissa, no, Moore I thought about is, it too. It's great. Also, it's when you, great can you go back name. to your dad's name, yeah, never. Right. That never. A great never question. go back to uh, Jesperson. No no. no, no. But like, so when. Uh, I just got married last year. Okay. And thank you. That was one of the things I thought about even doing a hyphen, like Melissa Moore slash Knoyer or um, I have adult children, so they don't really need me to have last name, but I feel like I'm Melissa Moore. Like, I don't associate yeah. it with my ex-husband. I associate it with me.
0: That's yeah. who you've I am. you've been that person for so many years. Yeah, it's who I am now. Yeah.
2: When you and guys also both have huge careers, like changing your name would be awkward at this stage, it's right? It's weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It would be weird. But also, I, how the hell do you spell that last name, that new one? I know. Don't, don't. Kenoyer. Well, hurt. and
1: they get it wrong all the time. They call it or like, <laughs> <and> <laughs> Of uh, course. Well, and he is in the military and so they give nicknames to each other in the military and he's um, Steve Annoyer Canoyer.
0: <laughs> Poor Steve. <laughs> Can we, okay, that is a really good one, but I'm trying to decide between the nickname that Michelle shared with us. You don't have to share it on mic, but- Oh, I don't care.
2: Okay. When I was, I the day I graduated, we ended up going to like an SC game and and people were like celebrating and this guy comes up to me and they're like, oh, she just got her PhD. And he's like, more like PH double D. Ah! <laughs> and it stuck. it stuck it's like you asshole but also like it is pretty catchy. It's it's catchy catchy and it's he kind catchy. of wrapped it he's all P-A-W-G and like I don't even know if he meant it but it certainly got traction. Oh my god, <laughs> okay, that is so good.
0: Oh my god.
2: Go well, ahead. okay. So, are
0: you up for a couple more? Would you rather? Okay, I'm ready. Yeah, Melissa, okay. You got one for. Yeah. All right. Um,
1: would you rather be in a mommy and me almond mom group, or in a smoking only casino playing the penny slots with a with bloodshot eyes? <laughs> mom
0: group, as if that's a mom group as well. Like that's a, what's that's not a almond? Mom group?
2: Like an uh, almond bomb. Okay, so do you ever watch the Housewives? No, I sca- I get scared. Okay. Oh no, I can't I like handle that. conflict and like. Oh, I, I like, Serial is... killers are fine. See like, that is a real an interesting Housewives take. scare you. I get so <laughs> much anxiety. You know so much anxiety. Um, that is
0: interesting that you say that because I had to stop watching the Beverly Hills Women because it got to be. T- I had anxiety. I I hated a couple of them so much. And what they would do. And I just wanted to jump through the screen and be like, and that I couldn't and what they were doing. It just gave me anxiety. Yeah, no, no. I understand. But, but serial killers and I'm like, listen, give me the autopsy photos. And almond mom, I guess I bring up the housewives because Yolanda Hadid was a model back in the day. She married. What's his name? Uh, Muhammad. But, like, yeah. Um, so she had supermodel daughters. And anyway, she was she was on the show and she's the quintessential almond mom. So when her daughter, who also was a model, called her and was like, I'm hungry, she's like, Oh, honey, eat a couple almonds. Oh you gosh. gotta get on the I runway. I thought that was just
2: Giselle. No, okay. oh, ho- no. no, almond mom. Well, so like the skinny moms? Yeah, like no, and, and they well, kind of
0: it's different. Okay. They teach their kids like problematic. It's,
1: it's a culture. It's a 90s diet culture that the moms grew up with, which is, you know, low fat. Um, I definitely can't that. eat um, full fat mm-hmm. um, dressing, you know, dip your fork in the dressing. Yes, and then put it in the salad. Put it in the salad. It's kind of maybe uh, I'm an
2: almond mom. Shit.
1: It's, it's some of the Weight Watcher mentality, too, I feel like that was blended in with. Um, like the, just like fat phobia. Yeah. I I mean, I would probably say, I don't mean to be an almond mom, but my daughter would call me an almond mom. Yeah. My daughter would. And that's only because I'm calorie conscious. I'm always watching what I eat and working out. Um, I try not to impose the diet
0: culture that I was raised with to my children, but I think it probably leaks into it. But I think that's part of being an almond mom. I think that that's why Yolanda Hadid got so much heat from that comment that she made to her supermodel daughter. Oh, honey, just eat a couple almonds. You've got to get on the runway. And she was hungry and like needed lunch. So it's really not all, I don't think it's all about just you and your own dietary. It's you're pushing that toxicity onto your daughter and sort of like, Body shaming and diet shaming, and like, just eat a couple almonds. Oh, honey, do you really need to have that second bite of the cake? Do you? That I think is also part of being an almond mom So it's pretty problematic. But I could be wrong. But Yolanda Hadid is like the where I think the term, the came, term from. came from because she, she said, said that. But All right, also, okay, okay, thinking about a casino,
1: there's I'm gonna a say, lady I'm gonna... sitting next to you blowing smoke in your face. <sighs> <laughs> that sucks. And you're winning on the penny penny you guys, I have you're up to I twenty have bucks. Way
2: too much experience with both of these groups. <laughs> I feel like I'd be right at home with either, and that's embarrassing. No, it's it's real. I mean, my mom used to smoke. We'd go to the, you know, we'd go to Monty's in Pasadena, and I'd be lying asleep in the booth, and all you see is smoke, and, like, that did happen in Vegas. She loved to gamble, and, you know, I mean... from LA. Yeah. So yeah. The 90s. I, some, yeah. I definitely fat. had so much, like, I can't believe it's not butter, Low. Low, like non fat cheese. Can we talk about the rubber oh that is non fat cheese? It's, it's so terrible. gross. So I'm going to have to say I would rather go with the Almond Mom group only because I don't want more wrinkles from the smoke. There you go. Oh, okay. okay. Now that
0: is a But doesn't really that make me point. an almond? mom? Because <laughs> <laughs> I am about
2: not getting the wrinkles. Like,
0: oh, yeah. it's just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a really interesting choice. Tro- okay. Okay. So like, you're next, Jamie. Okay. Okay. So Michelle, you are free on a Saturday evening. Are you going to the beer drinking backyard barbecue shindig, or are you going to dinner and cocktails at Nobu? And- I'm doing both. Oh gosh, 100% I love doing what? both. Okay. Um, what if the barbecue had screaming toddlers in the pool, screaming mommy? Are they mine? That are no. being an- ignored because <laughs> everybody's drinking and it's just, a? <laughs> it's, it's going to go south. Like, And all the dudes I picture are probably wearing flat bill hats and black socks oh, oh, and drive lifted oh. trucks maybe.
2: Okay, who am I going to Noba with? Oh, us. Oh, 100%. Done. Hey, that's a given. <laughs> Done. Uh, as long as no one's drowning, the toddlers, the, the black please. sock men can yes. like fetch the kids out of the pool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, men, I, love, I only say that, listen, I am very like, I'm from the
0: 909. Okay. So I was oh, born in you San Bernardino.
2: Yeah, exactly. Girl,
0: I was born in San Bernardino. Oh, gosh. At, Bernardino. Raised in Redlands Highland. Stop. I went to school in Redlands. And so I identify as a 909er. In fact, my phone number is still 909.
2: <laughs> Wait, you know what? Now that's going to be cool vintage. Don't ever. Okay, so that. I'm not going to. I do you feel go to like Big Bear it, really early and start drinking at 9 a.m. on the lift? Okay, so we did. Yeah, we. How I was. was we used to go
0: snowboarding. We would drink. We would probably crack beers on the way up there. Don't do that. I would in never your Honda do that Civic? today in our Honda Civic or a lifted truck. Maybe there was a lifted truck. You know, um,
2: uh, blasting. I don't know some 909 Kid Rock. <laughs> I I may or may not have joined you from passing okay. coming to the two hundred ten two ten the two ten up to Big yes. Bear. But I it's it lives on. I saw more Honda Civics lowered in the well, snow. Oh, they were all and they all had in the, the um
0: in the snow, uh, the coffee can muffler. On the lower oh. coffee can muffler. Oh. Yeah.
2: And it's you can hear it going up the street. There were a lot of those in, in my high school. Like the irony is there are probably people from all over the world listening to your podcast going, what the hell are these women? They don't talking not, about? yeah. It's a it Southern California,
0: but it's a certain sector of Southern California. It's the 909, it's the Inland Empire, it's San Bernardino, Highland, Pomona, Redlands. That's where I grew up. I only got out, of, I survived the 909. I got, I, this girl got plucked out of the 909 um, because I met my husband and he's from the San Fernando Valley. Where I'm and from. I, yeah. It's
2: not all that different.
0: And so, exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, he has some bro, like he's not a bro, trust me. Sorry, bros. But um, he is, we kind of have a similar upbringing. He's from the Valley. I'm from the 909. Neither are glam, glamorous. It's very smoggy in both places.
1: The soup's
2: smoggy. Yeah. And then if we go to the West side, they're both like, they're like all of you, south. Like, yeah, you you're all lame. yes. Okay,
1: so I grew up in the Pacific Northwest with flannel and men posting pictures of fish holding fish. Oh, was it grunge rock, too? It like... was like it was Kurt cobain yeah, I was gonna say, and yeah. Nirvana. and it was hands. grunge, and it was dirty hair. And, okay. Were they uh, wearing
0: Tiva river sandals?
1: <laughs> with socks? What's so- that's in now? Crocs socks and Crocs. Oh my gosh! I was just at the <laughs> lake. Right. I love it. no, no. It's hilarious. I was just <laughs> I was at the lake in Idaho last week, and um, Klein, my friends. Hayden? I went to um, Coeur d'Alene for a wedding, but I went to Priest Lake. Is It's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And so one of my friends um, invited one of the, this guy, and he took his Crocs off, oh. and he had tan line from the Crocs. So it looked like. like the holes in the crocs he had like brown spots on his feet from the croc and you didn't make out with him
0: no i didn't oh my god girl i was like (laughs) you passed up that chance oh okay um can i just tell you and i this person shall remain nameless because i might get arrested i don't know um me and my friends include and my sister got invited to go to a an exchange extremely world famous person's house. And this one particular time, um, we, her, the guy who lived at the house, he would receive all her packages and stuff. We went out in her SUV. I looked in the, you know, the glove box and it said, oh, uh, <gasps> walked all through house. Her artwork is amazing. We just saw everything. So, um, long story short, we got ham skied out at the clubs, come back in her guest house and my sister peed in her sink. Oh, I'm sorry. That's why we can't say her name, uh, We because that's so disrespectful. I think but we need to beep your what? sister's I name. I know, like, I know. I'm yeah. not saying my sister's name. Everybody got ham-skied. We did clean up the next morning, and I'm, like, so embarrassed. This was years ago. Um, and it wasn't me, it's my sister.
2: But you but share it, 50% of your jeans I,
0: I, I Thank <gasps> you for reminding me. <laughs> 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 Shit. Shit. Wait, that's
2: brilliant. So
0: I just, Wha- the peeing in the sink, I do think it's weird. Now my sister was hammered and somebody was in the bathroom and she was going to pee her pants. That's the reason. Not oh, that that, that's a good
1: enough reason. That's a good, con- that's good context. And we though. did clean
0: up the next day. I would never do it now. And I think it's. I thank you for playing a lot. Thank you. You're such a good sport. We just wanted to like, you know, break the ice because we are. Going to talk about a little bit of a dark topic, and why don't we get right into it? But before we do, I just kind of want to know what got you into the field that you're in today, and you know what specifically got you interested in predatory behavior. Yeah, I, well, gosh, I
2: feel like I have to be a little bit careful, <laughs> Melissa. This is you know it's personal what? stuff. Oh, you oh, know, no, I mean, it's, it's actually five. like your dad is the type of. Yeah, there's two different kinds of killers. Well, there's several different types of killers. But if you were to make it break it down to its most rudimentary level, at least when we would teach undergrad courses, it's like you have your impulsive type killers. You know, they get into a bar fight and they kill their girlfriend in a fit of rage. And then you have your predatory type of killers, the the cold blood. And the the operating systems couldn't be further apart. What
1: makes um, we're fascinated by women killers? Hence, Mm -hmm. lipstick and lies. What makes
2: a woman? a predator killer. So women are fascinating. Um it's easier to become a killer if you're a male that the the wall is, sh- is smaller to be a female. Usually our female serial killers and our female stalkers are more dangerous than their male counterparts. That's confusing because they're very rare and they're often not as prolific but they're general they're usually better at it. Mm. So if one does decide to become a a very good female serial killer, they're usually gonna get away with it. I, I was just on a podcast wow. talking, no, I'm sorry, I was on um, Pierce Morgan's show, Pierce. Oh, he had killer women. Yes, wait, he did, no, 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 he, it was uncensored. Oh, I ah. could not think of his show, okay. Um, and it that was yesterday. And they had this question, like, well, why would someone nurse Lucy Letby? Why would she kill babies? How could you kill a baby? How would you kill a baby? I'm like, you're thinking of her as a nurse. She's a serial killer who is in a place where there's victims everywhere. And and I hate saying this. It's really rude, but it's low-hanging fruit. So sex workers, homeless people, um, and babies are really easy to kill. So if you're thrill-seeking and that's what you're looking for, you go where you have a, a great um, – not a breeding ground, but kind of like a, a hunting ground yeah. for that. So the way I got into that is people had um, talked a lot about the environmental issues that that kind of contribute to killing. But for me, it's like, what? but why? Why can one person grow up in the most abusive environment and become a total dick? And then, I mean, a, a totally wonderful person and another person could have a perfect family and become a dick. What is the individual differences? And that's usually biology and genes. Okay. Now you can't study biology, biology and genes without understanding the environment. So it's not studying one without the other. It's just that nobody was at the time really looking okay, at it. Okay, to say what people say to me Is there a serial killer gene? There's a constellation of genes that recombine. So this was my dissertation. I looked at it in children. I looked at psychopathic behavior in nine to 11 year olds and I used identical and fraternal twins so that I could isolate how much of it is genetic and how much is environment. We do that mathematically this is where I nerd out. Okay, this is going to be fun. Identical (laughs) twins share 100% of their non-segregating genes. So genetically, they're almost identical. Fraternal twins are just like regular brothers and sisters, but born at the same time. So mathematically, you have uh, 100% genes, 50% genes, and then you have shared environment and individual environment. So you can look at large, massive groups of these people and study how similar identical twins are to each other versus how similar fraternal twins are to each other. And if in any given trait from reading ability to killing, Mm -hmm. if identical twins mathematically are more similar to each other than fraternal twins, it suggests a, a genetic component involved. Now, this can get really boring and convoluted, but essentially what we figured out is if you look at a pedigree, if you look at the pedigree of a serial killer, you might or psychopathy, let's make it broader, let's make it psychopathy. And that occurs in about one out of every 100 people. But most of us are pro social psychopaths if we're going to be psychopaths. And I, I say we because I don't like to exclude the psychopaths among us. <laughs>
0: so, I mean, I I, mean I,
2: listen, you can be, I it's a protected group now. Right. So, geez, <laughs> um, you'll find it's not so much father to daughter, you'll see great uncle Larry. And two to three generations later, a little psychopath pops up again.
1: So if I look at my family tree, Mm -hmm. I have another psychopath in my tree,
2: another serial killer in my tree. You do? Or you're saying, no, you, you might have somebody with that constellation of, of genes. So what we learned is that it's it's inherited. It's a group of genes. We don't know which, but it's a group of genes that kind of turns it on or not. Mm-hmm. So you might find throughout your pedigree that you have people with psychopathic features, but not usually it's not usually one generation to the other. Now this is all broad. It's not exact, but this is what the tendency, this is what we've what we're seeing.
1: Well, this is fascinating because that is an. There's another question that I get asked are, are you afraid of spawning a serial killer? And I never was afraid of that. Mm. I, I really wasn't afraid. And thankfully, my children are fabulous. And you'd know by now. Yeah, I would absolutely know. They are super empathetic. They have all of the markers of being regular, nice, good people. Um, but then I guess a question would be. Knowing what you just explained to me, could it be genetically passed down through them to another generation then?
2: Well, certainly, but there's there's good news. Okay. So please share the good news. Now I'm scared. Yeah. <laughs> My kids and, are and not gonna want to have kids. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and don't be scared because look, our 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 leaders of our countries are psychopaths usually, like hedge fund managers are psychopaths, surgeons are often psychopaths. Being a psychopath is not necessarily negative. So what you're gonna find you ha- I don't know how to personal to make this, but your dad was interested in killing. Mm-hmm. And psychopaths are very goal-driven people who lack guilt, remorse, and empathy. So that can pop up again. Callous and emotional is what we call it in children. And it can translate into adulthood. Children are generally callous and unemotional. But- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, yeah. Hold on. I mean, got not- scared for a second <laughs> that I have a budding serial Yeah, no, it's unusually callous and unemotional. Like okay. they love it when you get hurt and they laugh and it's really okay. funny when the family pet dies and yeah. that oh, kind of callous yeah, that's and, scary. and emotional. It is. <laughs> and that can become um, psychopath, traits of psychopathy later, but you nudge them into pro-social stuff. So you know, if they're always sensation seekers, they're always looking for thrills and you want their thrill to be something pro-social. If they love winning and the gambling, get them into finance. If they love like solving a problem, surgery, whatever. I mean, there's some downsides to having your surgeon being psychopaths. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. But generally speaking, one out of a hundred of us is not a small number. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could have, you know, a psychopathic grandchild who is pro-social, because you know to nudge, you know to give the omega-3s, you know to give them an outlet for their thrill-seeking behavior, and you have the resources to make sure that committing small, petty crimes isn't the only way they get their thrill. Yes. Okay. And like, you know,
0: so it almost sounds like, and obviously there's just no, it's not, this doesn't apply every single time, but in general terms, it seems like if somebody has the the um, psychopath genes, what would you call them?
2: A, Const- a, a, like a predisposition. Yeah, yeah, predisposition. Yeah, predisposition towards psychopathy.
0: And is raised in a deeply traumatic and toxic home, that could be a recipe for disaster. Not always, but it, that could be then that psychopath then uh, uh, turns to a killer. So I've been saying- Because it's like the per- all the clouds, you know, are aligned. But And I guess that I wanted to ask about Rex Heuerman, you know, we don't i don't know anything about his past his childhood i'm very curious if he is a serial killer he's been accused he has not been convicted if he is and all the things that we have learned about him are true what are some things we may expect to find in his past and how he was raised in his childhood and
2: yeah, it's it's an interesting question, and and risking making it oversimplified because we tend to when we're trying to give sound bites and like okay, this is these are tendencies this is what we're seeing or what we have seen through research. Look, you can become a serial killer with almost no environmental triggers. A lot of our serial killers come from normal backgrounds. We hunt, we dig, we search for that environmental trigger that made them this way so that we feel better, that we feel like we have control, that we can protect people and ourselves. But the reality is there are there are plenty of serial killers who come I, from bad, good backgrounds.
1: I love that you say that because my dad's side of the family couldn't be, they're, they're so great. I love my dad's side of the family. Um, they're hardworking. They're, they've gotten a lot of shit. Because people are like, once you have a serial killer in the family, they look at you all like guilty by association, and they dissect your family. Um, and we, I feel like we have a great family. Do we have probably some um, dark humor? Yeah. Oh no!
0: <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: yeah, you have to do that to survive it, yeah, sometimes. I think. Yeah, it's gallows humor. Yeah, yeah but I, Melissa, I'm glad you're bringing that up. And I say this often on my podcast. We give ourselves too much credit and too much blame because we tacitly pass down these genes that control more of our personality than almost anything else. And that's particularly true with a serial killer. So many of them come from loving, wonderful backgrounds. Now, these impulsive type of killers, these really like these rule breakers from day one, sometimes you'll see more trauma in their backgrounds. And you can see trauma, especially if you dig long enough. You're going to find trauma in anyone's background, really. Um, but we see a lot of serial killers, even in other countries from just the most wonderful parents.
1: Okay. So one thing that I'm so glad I have this podcast, this forum to be able to talk to you, first of all, it gives me a great excuse to get to know you, like invite you on. We're besties. uh, Yeah. Now we're besties. (laughs) Um, because if the, if I didn't have this podcast, so I would have to find a way to meet you (laughs) in another way. Um, I'm sure I would find another way, but, um, what – have you heard and have you watched any of the news with Rex Heuerman and his
2: wife, mm-hmm. uh, his estranged wife, Asa? And what are your thoughts about so, the
1: visuals and what you're
2: seeing? I just like, that's what we see when we have a serial killer. Often they're a little weird, you know, because they have to be. They can't be like they. You, – you'll find that they, you know, might run a Boy Scout Group, but they're not best friends with their neighbors, and I wasn't surprised at all. Of course, he's a little odd, keeps to themselves.
1: Well, they don't have social graces because they they don't have the ability to empathize. I think, and and that's what I found with my father is he had limited social abilities, ah. like socially awkward. Did he like seem it. like he was on the spectrum at all? No, he was actually very charming, but when it came to, um, like normal party environments like when you're mingling with people he he was it was a little awkward because you you would never be able to empathize with you know when you listen to somebody when they're telling you a story he didn't have that because is about him. He's care. a narcissist. About yeah, him. He does not care. Doesn't care. He, didn't, he didn't care at all. He didn't care. Yeah.
2: Did he treat, I don't know this part of your background. Yeah. Did he, and you know, you've probably said this 300 times, so I'll, I'll take this offline, but did he treat you guys as extensions of himself that yes. he cared deeply about? Yes. Or, okay. Because it he goes did. both ways with psychopathic mm-hmm. men.
1: Um, my weight, I uh, had to be thin. Um, and he was very focused on his weight. So if I, he would say, Hey, he called me Missy. He would say, Hey, Missy, you're getting a little thick." And I think, you know, we talked about almond moms earlier, but I think I had a little bit of body issues from having a father who, you know, drove in about what I look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he cared a lot about our persona, like our optics as a family, mm-hmm. that he was a good father, that he had to be, he had to be looked at as a good
2: dad. Yeah, um, They have that narcissism to them. Psychopaths mm-hmm. do. At the end of the day, they don't, they don't care as much as a true narcissist does cuz they they're not as insecure but they do that whole the optics are so important now you're going to you can get a rex who's like that he might need that kind of adulation from his family but he doesn't necessarily need it from his out, outside circles mm-hmm. and you kind of need to be married to somebody like him you kind of need to be a little weird yourself so okay. Because you have to be – and and everyone's saying, oh, she must have known. I'm thinking, no. I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah.
1: Because um, I don't know if you know, but I started a GoFundMe for her. And it's raised over $50,000. And the reason why I started it is one thing that my dad said to me that I have found actually to be true in life is not everything is what it appears to be. And I – when I saw the optics in the media of her just looking downtrodden, beat up bewildered i thought about my own mother and when my mom divorced my dad and how like she was destitute and i knew she filed asa filed for a divorce from rex and when you're going through an investigation everything seized and i knew she would have limited resources so i started the gofundme and um that is one of the things that i have found is like a lot of people said which i was happy about a lot of people said she's a victim too thank god hallelujah, people are getting it. Mm -hmm. So the work that you're doing, the work that I'm doing, the work of true crime in general, I think people are starting to understand that serial killers and violent perpetrators are in a silo of their own, you know, and sometimes the families are not involved. But then there's a couple people who said the same thing that I hate, which is she's complicit. She knew
0: and... And I'm like, why? I know
2: those people. The Ladoo. the
0: odds are, I think, against that. Like, I, I think, what are the odds that she Unless knew and was okay together. with it? No, and
2: I think you're right, Jamie. It's when I first started working in true crime and I had my first show where I actually started talking about, hey, like, some of this is biology. Some of this is, you know, look at brain trauma. 60% of our male inmates have head trauma, measurable, on an MRI, people got upset. They want, we're we're a very punitive culture. Yes. We want everyone to have known right from wrong and to have made a bad decision and have accountability for all of it. The truth is less convenient and people don't like it.
0: Um Alexis is familiar. I was 18 years old, living with my mom. She was freshly divorced, lived in an apartment. Long story short, I go across the street, go to the grocery store, get some things, Unbeknownst to me, a man was following me the whole time into my ap- apartment complex. I saw him at a certain point, was very, had chills. It was, I was scared, but I was 18 years old. I had no experience with crime and I thought bad things only happen to people on the news. So I went against my gut instead of getting in the car and driving to the police station because I was so alarmed. I just got out and he, there he was. And I walked into my apartment. I go to my mom's room, tell her what I got. And lo and behold, I go to walk into my apartment and he, uh, my bedroom and he's in there. What? So he, assuming he followed me home from the grocery store. Didn't you lock your door? We're, you know, so that's a funny now. thing. She We're does lock now. freaks. And my mom has always been a lock freak, but it was summertime and I was just a dumb teenager. My bedroom door or my bedroom window was a, you know, like the bottom floor apartments. It's always a sliding glass door that leads out to a little porch. Uh-huh. I left it cracked like this much, but I had the vertical blinds and the screen closed. Didn't even give it a second thought. My mom's home, like, I'm just going to like go across the street. She was, she was studying for the bar at the time. I knew she'd be up. Come home. And he when I walked into my bedroom, the crazy thing is like a, a, a movie is I walked in right as he's walking in. And it's very apparent to me that he thought he was going to catch me off guard because he knew I was in my mom's bedroom at the time. Cause he could hear, you know, outside her window. I, we've we played replayed all this and he thought, ah, oh, I've got an opportunity. I'm going to go in her room well, what was he going to do? Was he going to hide in my walk-in closet? Was he going to hide under my daybed? I was about to go to bed. Who knows what would have happened, but I caught him. Right. And, and um, you could tuck him off guard. So he left. Yes. And that is the thing. It was very apparent when I walked in that I startled him. He scared the shit out of me, but I was angry. When I saw him, I thought, and I was, like, a sassy teenager or whatever. But, like, I was just kind of like, you fucking pervert. Get yeah, the f- – who the fuck are you – get out. Like, I was just – I was cussing at him. And I was like, ugh. I remember that my mom, the one thing she remembers me going is, like, ugh. Like, yeah, <laughs> You're not
2: even cute. You're not even cute, bro. <laughs> You're, like, old and, yeah, whatever. That, but, but that is really – scary and and when I do talk to killers they'll tell me like they wait until the moment's right they probably have five false starts before they actually commit the rape or the murder
0: yes and that's when you hit the nail on the head because when I've talked to you know people in the field you know psychology you know experts just to kind of get some knowledge of like what was going through his head why did he do this and what you know um he, very likely he had tried this before or done this before and, um, had perfected it or not perfected or it. not perfected uh-huh. it. He had a couple, couple more to go. go. He had a couple yeah, more, a couple more to go. Mm-hmm. And he's really lucky because my mom did come in running with her gun after she finally oh. realized I'm in a confrontation. <laughs> she thought it, she thought it was my boyfriend at the time. Cause he used to come in through the, he was very, like, comfortable with my family. Yeah, I know exactly. No, no, it's not me. So, um, no wonder I was a teenage mom. <laughs> Wait, all the math is adding up. It's all <laughs> like adding up here. Family pattern. Yes. <laughs> but my mom did. She didn't realize she was so into her studies at the time that she didn't realize I was in trouble. She thought by me going, ew. And I was like yeah. saying the F word, but it's like, she's like, oh, he, she could be, you know, joking around with her boyfriend at the time. Um, but then she, something clicked and mama bear kicked in. My mom's always packing heat, got her gun out of her desk, runs in. And she's like, literally like, what the fuck's going on? I'm like, Oh my God, he ran like you went that way. But, um, it's just, a yeah. I mean, just it w- it was trauma, but like, I really have not, I've brushed it off for so many years. Like eh, it happened. Like I survived. He didn't touch me. Like I I'm lucky, but because that didn't happen, I never, never consider myself like a survivor. It's only the day I met you; mm-hmm. it was a survivors event. I didn't go there as a survivor. I went there because my friends were hosting an event, and I wanted to support them. And I missed them. And it was like, oh, you're having something in LA? I'll be there. Yeah, and um, yeah. So, the-
1: Vice.com was doing a documentary about ethical true crime and the fascination of the true crime genre, and um, it was uh, Color Laundry and uh, Tara Newall that were hosting this event in Los Angeles and they invited me to come, um, while the film crews were there and stuff. And it was just pretty much like, a, it was a meetup, like a, it was just a meetup. Um, so that's where I met Jamie and we had a, a moment during the evening where we just all went around and, and shared our experience. And then Amy, I mean, uh, Jamie said, well, you know, I'm not like you, Melissa a victim. And I'm like, well, there's no, like, you don't have to, um justify victim by like some kind of level or measurement and pain is pain and trauma trauma is trauma. trauma. Yeah. Of course there's worse trauma. Right.
0: Right. Of course. course. But that's pretty true. But like, yeah.
1: Well, and that's what I also say about, um, Asa and the adult children, Victoria and uh, Christopher, who are the family members of Rex Humorman. And I would say that about my mother and my siblings and my family is that we are crime victim survivors because while we did not lose our lives. Yeah. We suffered
2: other losses. Your life is still defined by this. It is. Yeah, it absolutely. is.
1: And like and I'm never gonna sit here and compare victimhood right. because we don't you have don't to need do to. that. When you're a victim, there you don't have to
0: um you don't have to do that. It's not either or, or it's yeah. that and like exactly. And I mean,
2: would you say to a rape survivor, well, you only got raped by one person, I was right. raped by two. You, you never would. You've um, already crossed the threshold into yes. trauma. And of course, within there is going to be worse criminals, worse worse victims, you know, all of that. But thank you for giving a voice to that narrative, because I come up against I mean, I do a lot to say, like, hey, maybe the parents didn't know. Like, maybe the parents were good parents. Especially during Columbine, we saw a lot of, you know, parent hate. And I don't know about their particular parenting, but it's not fair to assume. You know, it it really isn't. And Mm -hmm. there's another genre of of criminals we don't talk a lot about, and that's those who don't get caught. Mm -hmm. And they are categorically different. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, like, well, you know, their family is better off that they never get caught, but the victims aren't. Because... I've talked to a lot of, you know, the families of the killers. I do that as much as I talk to the victims of, or the families of the victims. And in some ways it's, it's a, it's a trauma that you are blamed for. Right. So it, it can be really, really devastating for, for them too. And I mean, I, you're yeah. speaking from personal experience.
1: right? Yeah. Well, I think honestly from uh, perpetrator's family members, I would say the number one person i see that carries the greatest pain is a mother of a perpetrator Mm no i can't like she made a mother of a serial killer Mm -hmm. a mother uh, i met with cindy i met with cindy watts uh the mother of chris Chris Watts. watts and uh she carries an unfathomable you know unfathomable pain um because there's a mother's guilt in that, like, did what could I have done differently? Well, and he killed her grandchildren. Yes, and that too. Yeah. Killed but, her grandchildren. Uh, but I'm here to Aunt, just yeah.
2: plant this flag in the ground. I mean, I, I have met and spent time with psychopathic serial killers who, had I not had their bio in front of me, and I'm trained, I would never have known in a million years. Years I get comfortable so with them. They're, they're so, so good at it, and yeah, they're sloppier when they're little, but they're little. Like they, you know, a child talk about so much fun because they sure. have no idea not to say, "I mm-hmm. love it when my mom's bleeding or the neighbor died." Yeah, or. they get older, they learn the language of sounding like you have empathy, and so you you start to believe them. But they're that good.
1: But I notice as they get older, they what appear to do is mirror. Like they look for
0: cues from another person. Yeah, because they, yeah, they, they don't have this feeling. They don't have it. And so yeah, like yeah. they talk about that with Ted Bundy. Like they'll he was like, very good at like putting that putting but on.
1: sometimes. Um, so like in interviews with a serial killer, what I noticed that is that the interviewer will say, Did you feel guilty? Did you feel sad? And they'll say, I felt sad, mm-hmm. I felt guilty. Like they, they look give the right robotic you, answers. Yeah, but well, they don't say robotic like that, but I'm like, my point is that they. They search for what's the right answer, right? You yeah, know, and yeah. then they they feed know
0: what it.
2: they're supposed to do. They fish for it, and they feed it back, yeah, well, and that's why in 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 Cleckley's book, The Mask of Insanity or the Mask of Sanity, he says they learn the language of emotion, but not the music. So it's like someone telling you, like, oh, do you f- you know experience this blank thing that you have no idea what they're talking about? So you start studying them. like that's what I'm supposed to feel. Great. What words do we use? Wonderful. And so that's another reason why we looked at them it, this in children because we didn't want them to learn the language yet of how to, you know, lie and pretend that they felt remorse, guilt, and empathy. The
0: blame thing, it just is very real. You've talked about how, you know, um, perpetrators, families are blamed. How did you not know? I guess that's the only reason I brought up my own personal stories is that, that, like, it's on a much smaller level, but people, you know, when I brought my story public and told on the podcast and YouTube, whatever, you get all these comments that, like, you're stupid like oh why would you why'd you get out of the fucking car why did you said you were scared dude get in your car go to the so they all like know what they would do yeah, oh, yeah. oh sure that's so sure. i'm just saying like the blame is just very and you know it needs to stop I, but i saw that a lot in the call
1: uh the kohlberger case with mm-hmm. the yes the
0: students that survived
1: yes
0: that they were like you saw him you didn't do this why you didn't, didn't you do, do this Yeah. There's as if she knew right then that she was face to face with a killer. Like as if she just knew in the middle of the night, like, Oh my God, I've got to call the police or stab this guy because he's a bad guy. Like you don't know your fight or flight or freeze. And I can speak to this and you can too. Like we've all had traumatic situations. Um, I did nothing that I thought Jamie today. I would like to say that I would have done everything different in my personal story I don't even recognize the girl who made those choices. Like, do any what, of us recognize it, our eighteen-year-old self? Right. No. Oh God, I hope not. She's she long gone. Like <laughs> I have like divorced myself from her. No, but like you don't you don't um, do you, you don't recognize yourself because you're, it's trauma. It's you're in shock and you cannot have it all played out in your mind that if that were to happen again, like I, this is what I would do. You don't know what you would do.
2: And I did nothing of what I thought I would do. Even today, I do things differently than I think I will.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to go back to Rex Hewerman because I think that I won't, I think this is a great opportunity to answer some questions so that people, so you made a good point. You're like, you're going to put this flag in the ground. I want to put the flag in the ground of saying can we stop saying how did you not know to the family members yeah it's victim blaming okay so I feel like to to unpack that we have to start with a question how can
2: predator how do predators lead double lives How does anyone lead a double life Think about all these people you read oh my god my husband had a gambling habit my husband was doing meth my husband had prostitutes on the side he had a second family It happens all the time How much do you really know someone who's trying to hide things from Exactly you? Yeah, like if you really want it, if you're bright and you really want to hide something from someone, you think you you can't, you can affairs.
0: They happen all the time,
2: and and it's the same Mm -hmm. phenomenon. We only hear about those who are caught. This stuff happens with the frequency you don't want to know about. You're not comfortable with, and you are only hearing about the people who are a telling you they found their husband doing something. Maybe, you know, there's lots of things that people find their husbands and or wives doing that you never even hear about. And then most of them go unfound. There's this idea, I would know if my husband's cheating. No, you wouldn't. No. No, if you they wouldn't. They want you to know. They will find a way for you not to know. Unless you are suspecting it and you're looking for it and you're but digging. you're not typically looking for. I wonder if my husband's a serial killer. Right. Like who
0: asked? Uh, that? Who would ever? Well, it's <laughs> like that. You're, I don't think your brain ever goes. So the word, and that's why I didn't listen to the red flags. Mm-hmm. My brain went to Ah, I'm gonna put no, Jamie, come on, you're being like over dramatic. Your brain never goes to the worst case scenario;
2: it goes to the typical scenario, to the so, normal scenario,
0: right? So when yeah. I see this man and he's scaring me for very good reason, like. But I just was like, God damn, just get out of
2: the car, Jamie. And like, oh, well, you're going to be in your probably, apartment in two well, seconds. Well, and Jamie, you're forgetting this whole thing. You probably 10 times a week have somebody looking at you that makes you uncomfortable. And you know what I'm saying? Like, if yeah. you did If you that, live like that. Yeah, if you right. live well, like that. Well, if you're a pretty 18-year-old girl, you're going to have me- – there's a fine line between a guy looking at you and like, well, where's she going, to the guy who's going to show up in your bedroom. Sure, you know exactly. They don't look that different from each other. They
0: don't. And you just don't – it, it is a rare – case scenario, what happened to me, your your personal life and for your experience. So you you just, your brain doesn't go to, Oh, this guy's probably going to chop me up tonight. Like I really need to go to the cops. No, you're like, you're going to push it down and just be like, Oh God, just get out of the car. It's, it's, it's going to be fine. And so I just don't, I hate that question. I'm so glad you brought it up. It is extremely victim blaming Mm -hmm. to be like, so how did you not know? Because Melissa and I have talked about this at nauseum, but it's like to say, to Melissa's point this morning, to say, how did you not know? You're insinuating I was complicit. If I knew, then I was okay. That's ridiculous. With him killing
2: sex workers. It's ridiculous. So it's
0: just, it's ridiculous. I just want to, we want to put it to bed. It's,
1: so I want to, uh, put. I, so I want to ask another question, Michelle, of you. Um, how is
2: the family the facade for the double life? Right, right. And I don't know necessarily that a serial killer puts that together a priori, that they are like, okay, I better find myself a wife and have some kids so that I can go on to have this prolific life. But what it does it is, it has utility to it. It creates a front where you are less suspicious of somebody like that. So one of the ways we study people who have never been caught for their crimes is by hiring them from temp agencies. Mm-hmm. So I worked on the study very okay, early. I'm, on. I'm like, I'm deeply fascinated. Very fast. Like, that what? Would, like,
1: really got my Tell attention. me more.
2: This yeah. Is yeah. Dr. Ward. <laughs> so I was. It was before I matriculated into USC, and I was just you know trying to get in. I wanted to work with Adrian Rain or Laura Baker, and I. I like them. I'll be a free TA or a research assistant. What do you want me to do? And so they had me in the basement of USC hospital measuring MRIs, um, of people they had hired from temp agencies. They got government immunity. So they, whatever these people told them they didn't, they couldn't, Adrian Rain couldn't report it. Wow. And it turned out 10% of the people he had hired had either attempted or committed a violent crime. And he's a genius. He's like, I'm like, how did you know to go to a temp agency? And he's like, well, typically they have nomadic lifestyles. They can't hold down a job. They can't be part of a normal society. So you're going to catch a few. Now with serial killers, it's a little bit different because they don't have the impulsivity, the fiery rage when, you know, when they're getting ready to kill. They're cold blooded. They're calculating They're predatory. So they can hold down some normalcy. Now, their crimes are weirder and creepier typically than your impulsive type of hot-blooded killer. but they have this gift of this ability to look really normal on the outside, or at least if you don't look too closely.
0: That's just such a in Rex Huerman's case just points back to he very likely, well, they didn't catch him for how many years, you know, right. so that's not uncommon. he's very good at not letting people know what he's doing, which means it is to me, it's highly unlikely that his family, New, with uh with serial killers
1: what makes a serial killer uh dismember their victim versus one that just discards the entire body
2: i think it's Is motivation. That sorry that right. I, right. Oh, that's oh god try to try to scare me with right. it Maybe right. i don't know right. who listens to uh, this but well, on my podcast i'm like and then the liver was cut and filleted um, <laughs> it's it's motivation and it changes. One of the bis- biggest misconceptions is that serial killers don't change, evolve over time in their victimology, in their MO, like how they comil- commit their murder, the weapons they use, where they dispose of the bodies, and who they choose. Mm-hmm. But it does change over time and it does for multiple reasons. Um, look, we're never going to, as frequently as we hear about serial killers, they're actually quite rare in nature. So collecting data on them is always a little funky. But essentially, we do see this ramp up. So we see killings start, they're a little sloppy. Um, about what age did they start killing? Well, it just depends, right? It mm-hmm. depends okay. on where they are in their trajectory of urge mm-hmm. and w- how how close are they to people they can kill. And, you know- A little what, bit of opportunity. Opportunity. A little bit mm-hmm. about
0: urge, a little, like it's-
2: right. And it's- they tend to they tend to have redu- reduced anticipatory fear, so they don't get as scared as we do biologically they don't have the somatic markers of anticipatory fear, so like if you're gonna blast somebody in a study and you say, well, we're going to count from ten to zero, they don't start sweating, Their heart rate doesn't increase like ours does really so they I had no idea mm-hmm. yeah wow. and, and we measured it and it happens in children it's so if wow. a child with psychopathic features also has this somatic difference. So, but most of them do not become serial killers. But I think that it's important to realize that a serial killer sometimes needs to up the ante like a drug. Like they're not getting the high they used to get. So I'm going to cut them up a little bit more and do something a little different and get them more intimate with my kill. That can be a reason that change or they've decided to dispose differently. And could it also just be
0: like, I really want to keep doing this. And if I just dis- dismember these bodies, it's going to be harder for people to Absolutely. find them, which
2: means that it's going to be harder for them to tie me to this body. I'm here to tell you if a serial killer really doesn't want to be found, it's getting harder for them, especially when y'all keep giving the DNA yeah, away, yeah. <laughs> catching people left and right. Yeah. But it's, it, previous to there being cameras on every corner and such wonderful ways to track people, most serial killers don't get caught. Okay.
1: Really? How many
2: serial killers do you think are amongst us now? Is there, can you quantify that? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, shoot. Well, I have no idea, but I know if you go to other countries, it's actually probably more prolific than it is here. Um, There's so many, like India and Asia, and there's just more people and less accountability for where the people are. So if you want to be a serial killer there, you get more people. Um, Russia has a ton of fun ones. But I have no idea how many walk among us, but I know it's not that common. I just know we think we have a handle all we know are the killers who've been caught. Sure, right. Yeah. That's all we know a lot about. What
1: is the first reported serial killer? I heard it was a like a Native American. I thought I googled it some time ago, but when, like, how how far back? Um, I don't know. I don't remember. But yeah, I Talk heard like. Me. I well, well, I think no. I think what I read is that that serial killers existed even with Native Americans or something like that. Oh, I'm That's sure. I'm sure. Yeah, that I mean, every culture yes. has a serial killer. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying. That that
0: sounded like I don't believe Native Americans started serial. No. Oh, no. Yeah, no, 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 no. Okay. But back, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. In the times that you know Native Americans time. were, you know, it, it's it's not a new thing. It's just we just know more about it now. But certainly, like human beings are just
2: are human beings. And yeah, complexity like existed we we throughout time. have always existed. Do we have Egyptian serial. Absolutely. Colors? I <laughs> imagine that so. time. This is not a characteristic. You read about it in ancient literature, and there's actually something I read about some tribal culture. Where if somebody in the in the the tribe themselves acted in ways that were selfish and unempathetic and maybe damaging, they just push them off the cliff during a hunting trip because oh. the community can't exist that way. So I think since the beginning of, of time. But listen, we have to remember this one important unpopular thing that's going to lose you guys some listeners, but it's true. Yeah. Psychopathy is not always bad. Sometimes you need to be a little psychopathic to push the button. Well, I, I have to tell so, you I've something. something. I read something too. I got like, you guys the, so excited like some, about no, that. No, this. Is good I because have,
0: I read something that like actually certain companies look for psychopaths. I, I'm dumbing this down for certain high powered positions because you have to be shrewd and you have to be a certain, so they have, they, they, they have the characteristics of somebody who can just, if we need to make cutbacks, they don't give a shit. They'll cut they'll a thousand people will lose their jobs and they don't really give a shit about like I'm making stuff up, but like I did read something that like they're sought after sometimes in certain high powered and stress, uh, you know, positions where it's like a multi-billion dollar company, let's say. So Michelle, I want to tell you back in
1: 2018, I met Dr. Fallon. I you know, know Dr. Dr. Fallon. Fallon? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so for those who are listening who don't know who Dr. Fallon is or didn't listen to my first season of Happy Face, <laughs> then you'll know that Dr. Fallon uh, was studying PET scans of violent offenders and found some certain markers in the PET scans. And um, I think a colleague mixed in his PET scan in and found out like that he found the markers of a serial killer on an unidentified, you know, file. And he later turned it over and discovered it was him, that he was a serial, he was not the yes. serial killer, sorry. There's a podcast a- about this. He was a psychopath. And so I went to meet with Dr. Fallon to get a PET scan. I got one and he had me so ramped up about the results of my PET scan. So I, came- I went to Orange County, I met with him and he had my head lit up on his oh screen. Gosh. And he said, you know, Melissa, it's not a bad thing to be a, to be a psychopath. Like it's a warrior gene. And, (laughs) and like, you need, you need psychopaths to be surgeons. You need them to like these high functioning jobs. It's like society needs psychopaths. So I thought he's leaning me to like it's going to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> like you are. Yeah. And but
0: he's
2: like you are, are not. Fine.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but you
2: are not one of those interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you are not your You're just and you're average. just a boring person. Yeah, <laughs> you're like ooh. Well, and I think I think it was true. Like I think his pet scan showed it, it, I mean you're going to see reduced activity or reduced size even in the amygdala, the limbic system of serial killers or psychopaths, psychopaths, we'll say psychopaths. And then in the impulsive killers, you see more of the frontal lobe stuff, but you can see those in serial killers too. So um, Fallon's scan, I've seen it. Um, That comes on the heels of Adrian Rain, who in the early nineties, He's been doing – he's one of the first to do brain scans on killers because he's like, oh, there's something here. There's something here. And he did it on himself, and he totally had the brain scan of a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Absolutely the brain scan of a psychopath. And I worked with him for years, and I'm here to tell you, yeah, he's probably not – he's the most charming British man you're ever going to meet, but he's probably not super burdened with what people think of him. Yeah. You know, he's – he. Probably not. I, I would never call him a psychopath, but it also just shows the error of the science to a degree. these These are population statistics, and I think that's a that's a a problem when we look at this the tendency, you measure a bunch of amy- amygdalas that in the average size is less than a bunch of normal amygdalas. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to see with one person. Now, the exception to that, and I think it's important, is in the courtroom. If you have this person who has, you know, missing half of their, their temporal lobe and or has a giant contusion in the, the prefrontal cortex of their brain, that does that is a bit of a mitigating factor. Do I think that we need to be using that to let people off of crimes? No, but I think that the educational part of it, because there are things we can do about it. And that's like my whole goal, but before I leave this planet, is like, can we just talk, change the narrative a little bit, get the information out of the ivory tower, get it here, which you girls think you are doing, and Let's also talk about what we know, what we can can be done about such things. Sure. So, like Aaron Hernandez, you know, he I can't had, go with that.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, such a um, <laughs> hot, polarizing, uh, controversial case, but he did have a lot of brain damage. He had a lot of brain damage.
2: But, but,
0: <laughs> but exactly, you you what. When you know what happened, you're like,
2: but that was pretty cold and repeated. And, you know, so just look, I didn't study him as mm. a researcher, but he did. One of his attorneys did reach out to my jury consulting firm, litigation consulting yeah. firm to have us pick his jury. And none of us wanted to. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because we were I mean, we did the Casey Anthony trial. Like, we're not afraid. Yeah, Of course. But the you idea have strong that feelings he, about something. No, it's you know, because he hires hits. Oh, scary. Yeah. That was our fear is that when you make a man, you die. So we, you know, and I I deal with serial killers or murderers, criminals Mm -hmm. a lot, and they don't scare me, but- when there people are really comfortable hiring hits, I get a little nervous. That's scary. Yeah. Um. The first doctor that you
0: mentioned that discovered, oh my gosh, I'm a psychopath. Doctor Fallon. Um, doctor yeah. Fallon. Um. I I listened to a podcast about. I think it was him, and I think he had mentioned something like, and then I started to recall like you know traits of like psychopaths or you know obviously not one size fits all, but he would be somebody who would like put other people. Mm-hmm. In dangerous situations, Mm. and they would be a little fearful. Like, for example, we're in a buggy, you know, a motorized vehicle. We're going up and up and up, and everybody's like, "Oh my god, I'm scared!" Like, can you slow down? And he's like, "I'm having so much fun. I'm such a thrill." Oh well, that they're scared, and like it's like he didn't care really that they were scared, and he realized that about himself. I could be thinking of the wrong, but I think it's him where he realized that, like, oh yeah, I do i am in those that way they clearly were fearful but i didn't really do anything about it
2: well and sometimes they enjoy that look on people's faces especially since they don't experience
1: i know that look because i watched my dad torture animals and it's Mm. the pure enjoyment Mm. like the more you scream the more that they enjoy it i do remember that and i try to express it to people like it almost was like the more I scream, and um, the more I was screaming, the more it was enjoyable. I'm Um, sorry about that. Yeah. Because that's really fucked up. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Um, One thing that I would say is the silver lining of being raised by a serial killer is that I felt like it gave me a window into seeing predators, like being able to spot them. Um, I feel that intuitively, I kind of felt like I, if they fell more in line with my father's vibe, for lack of a better word, I I could steer clear. Um, So that leads me to want to ask you about choosing a partner. You're getting married. (laughs) I'm married for my second time, and I have a person I care about deeply, and I need your advice because um, she has interest from a boy. And this is like a 20-something-year-old person. She has interest from a guy who is totally wooing her and came out right out the gate and said, I have a DV charge, domestic violence charge. My spidey senses, my red flags... Bursted all over me, and I told this person, no, there's a million other guys out there. However, she explained to me that it was in self-defense, but I'm like, is that the spinning of, you know, he's trying to get ahead ahead of the narrative? Um, So I wanted to just, like, give you that context. If a guy has a DV charge, is he necessarily you know, a bad, a bad apple, like walk away, or could it mean other things? Like how could you dissect if this guy is worthy of time or walk away?
2: Get your hands on the police report mm-hmm. yes. and look at the details. Um, I would never throw somebody's whole entire person away on a DV charge because sometimes a woman can just say, cause w- we have had situations, and I, I I say this gently, where that's been weaponized. Women get—you know—we're human. We're smart. We get clever. Sure. If I want to hurt somebody, I can create this. I know a person who put child pornography on her husband's computer mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get him in trouble. It's not unheard of. Chances are, he's an aggressive person, but there are exceptions to that. And you'd really need to know the details of it, not from his mouth. Yeah, not from his mouth. That's—you know—that's yes. like a riddle, you know, mm-hmm. and and. Would I say if this matches up to any other red flags and put those together, don't ignore. I mean, we call them banderas, like wrapped in them. Yeah. That I would be uncomfortable with somebody young um, getting wrapped up with that. However, I have seen on occasion where that's been a DV has been weaponized to hurt somebody. And the That's person the is actually
1: narrative insane. that he gave is that his girlfriend... Obviously, they say crazy, my crazy ex-girlfriend. Now I'm now I'm triggered. My crazy ex-girlfriend was attacking me, and I pushed her off of me. uh, And I'm like,
2: oh. Well, then she would have had a DV charge too. That's
0: what I thought. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And you know, I'm a little more bothered, and and this could just be my own personal Mm -hmm. bias. I'm a little more bothered by what seems to be a little bit of love bombing.
2: I could be totally wrong. Red flag. Reflect. No, no, no. She's not wrong. The flowers, okay. the, the,
1: this person told me I've never been treated so well. Like by a guy, this guy well, treats me like everything. Remember My, talented Mr.
0: Ripley? This yeah. Person, Dirty John. This
1: person I, I love. It is bright, has a savings, perfect credit, has her life together, is a beacon of light and beauty. And so it doesn't surprise me that some guy would want to
2: attach himself to her yeah. well then Get she's the smart report. and she's gonna see it yeah. eventually it yeah. just teach this this friend of yours that's what the my red flags. Uh, the
1: people around me that eventually. um know this person have told me is like she's an intelligent woman she's she's an intelligent young woman she's gonna see it but um because of my background i am incredibly afraid of course because my mom um after my uh dad was arrested for serial murder my mom married another violent man who brutalized my mother he nearly killed her when she passed away i opened up her her safe and i found all the police reports of strangulation and abuse and like but i witnessed it too as a young girl and my mom uh didn't leave this abuse, her abusive husband until she got cancer and needed treatment. And she knew I wouldn't go to the house, um, to help her because he was there. Mm-hmm. And so she got her own apartment and, um, anyway, so my mom ended up passing away, I'm still legally married to him. And, um, that was one of the things that I, it w- was eye opening to me is survivorship So everything, thankfully, my mom had a will, but um, the surviving spouse gets everything. So her abuser could have got all of the assets, everything. And then um, I ended up fighting him for my mom to honor her will. And um, he found out through the lawyer, I sent him a notice and said, you know, I'm going to seek my mom's portion of the assets for the inheritance of my siblings and I. And um I got a phone call actually after doing a prison interview. I got out of the prison and I have a phone call from uh the Spokane Mental Health Clinic and they said, We just are obligated to tell you, but we just saw your your stepdad here and he had said that he wants to kill you and he's what? gonna stab you to death. Oh my god. And this is insane. I was like, he wants to stab you to death and I'm like, why? And he because he wants to because I was going after You're in the way, the, I was in the way. Yeah, okay. where
2: is he now? I'd like to have a word with him. I know, right? <laughs> many, many words. Here's the thing: I end
1: up winning everything that I sought out to, but the one thing that gave me joy—and this is maybe bad—but um, I got a message on Facebook Messenger from one of his his biological children that said, um, "My dad is really upset. He feels that uh, mom is revenging him." <laughs>
0: oh, and she probably was. I was like, like um, yeah. Yes.
1: And it's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I am not afraid of you anymore. I'm an adult woman and you can't scare me. And I'm going to seek what is entitled. And so I was able to get my siblings, their inheritance. Good, Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. I cut the check You're two months ago. Good yeah, for you. It was great. Yeah.
2: But mm-hmm. talking about your friend, yeah, I recommend um, not using your personal experience because it feels too rare. It feels oh. too okay, that happened, but it's not going to happen to me. Because you're the odd one. It's not relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not relatable. Mm -hmm. I would talk about just, I mean, I've been covering a lot of teen violence. One out of 10 of our high school girls gets hit by her boyfriend Mm -hmm. by the time she graduates. So it's like one one out of 10 a year. We live in a world like this still mm-hmm. oh. yeah i did a i did an episode about it and i was like look not many things shock me but this does this this violence within teen relationships is and it always begins with love bombing mm-hmm. oh always like begins with can you chills. michelle yeah. describe love bombing for listeners so i describe it a little bit differently than most people i describe it as anyone who's trying to speed up the trajectory of a relationship so we all get that you know oxytocin feeling that like oh I really want to tell him I love him but I've only known him 15 minutes. It's those who say it when it's an inappropriate time to say it. It's too soon. Ride those feelings out and usually it comes along with, "Well, why didn't you call me? I couldn't get a hold of you." And, "Well, I really miss you." And it feels like you like your family more than you like me. It it shifts, so it starts with You are everything to me. You are the best thing I've ever known. I've never felt this way before. Mm. I've never felt this way before is key. And the word, using the word, I mean, I've been love bombed and fell for it Mm in my 30s. So, you know, I am going on my second marriage. Um, (laughs) Upgrade. But I've been, yeah, I've been looking around and I'm like, I think it's, I think we need to broaden the definition is people usually want to speed up the, the relationship because they want control whether they know it or not. And it looks like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You don't really know how you feel about someone until you're in it for 18 months. And all of those hormones have mm-hmm. kind of settled down a little bit. So I think that that is, um, it's a red flag, but it's not a breakable offense, sure, yeah. but it's certainly something to pay attention to. And don't meet them where they are because it's not a healthy place. And when you don't meet them where they are, you'll see them losing a bit of control. And, and you'll know bussy. what
0: they freak yeah, out. Yeah, this one's mm-hmm. not going to work out for me. I was really trying to control her, but, you know, she's she's pulling back, you right. know, so they'll they move on to you. the next. Well, or, and then they but give, first they'll well,
2: guilt you and try to control you. Yeah, like almost
0: like, um, well, you know, I just thought like I bought you like a dozen roses. Mm-hmm. I delivered them in front of everybody at your work. Like, and then you chose to go to this party instead of come to my house. Like I, you know, that's just, exactly like, like, guilt, it. you know, just And I've heard it in so many cases that I've covered on my other show. And, um, but the love bombing thing now, I don't know if this is, this is something different, but there's also, um, in domestic violence situations, DV situations, it's like, again, people look at these women and they accuse them and they go, well, why the fuck did you stay? This is how you've called 911 a couple of times. Like you just keep going back and you keep going back but isn't there that period of they do this horrible thing and they're physical with you, but then they're on their best behavior and they win. They're so sorry. And they're so sorry. And Oh, flowers, babe, do you want coffee? And you know, bed, I'm making things up, but you know what I mean? Like it's, they know how to win you back. They know how to manipulate you into thinking like, I will never do that again. I was having a really bad day and this, this, and that. So I, that's not love bombing. It's called something else. I feel. Yeah, it's repair.
2: Yeah. It's the, it's the apology and the repair. And it it if you are a normal, empathetic person, it's really hard. It works. It's really hard to be like, I know you're sorry. And I see you're sorry, but I'm still moving on. And it's, that does not come naturally to us. We're like, okay, all right. I'm, you know, redemption's a real thing. And, you know, there's some people who are biblical in their ability to forgive people. And it's not about, look, I know you're sorry. I just don't think we match. And I just, I just don't. I'm not feeling this. Yeah, this is really so. I have scary. to
1: ask you because this there's a, a buzzword now that everybody's throwing around with failed relationships or just relationships that are toxic.
2: Narcissism. Yeah, it's so. What outrageous. do you think
1: of? Okay, everybody says my ex is a narcissist. Yeah,
2: or my, or my ex is a borderline or my ex yeah. is toxic or my. I- what do you think
1: about people throwing out the word narcissism? So like frequently, like just throw yeah. It yeah. Out. I mean, yeah. just
2: look look up the definition and they don't stop using it so much. I mean, They're like I was discarded. I yeah. was like
1: they use all these the. These terms. And um, I'm like, is do we really have a rampant narcissism problem? Or is it just people are putting labeling their exes as narcissists well, it we goes viral and everybody goes, hears it. it it's like,
0: like the word trigger yes. i just said it a few minutes ago and i try to stay away from it because it's also like i'm so triggered but i i hate saying that because it's like there are people who actually are like right. really triggered because they've been in a traumatic situation yeah. ptsd and ptsd yeah. is a PTSD, real yeah. yes but it's the same thing with like narcissism and i'm guilty of this as well i try to be very careful when i because i I don't have the chops to be able to say if somebody, somebody's a narcissist. I don't know, you know. But, um, yeah, it's a word that's t- thrown around, but it's also – it's a viral, buzzworthy word, and we're all into true crime. We all are on social media every single day. Narcissist, narcissist, you know. So it's like, oh, it's like that insult that now you can sling like, oh, yeah, he was an asshole, such a narcissist. Yeah, and or, then you're off
2: the hook. But here's the the hook. The thing. What makes a real narcissist? Well, okay, so what – usually when I see these memes or these like mm-hmm. Instagram or, or um, uh, TikTok experts armchair experts talking about narcissists i'm not an expert on this either yeah but when i say it, it's usually them just describing a relationship where the guy's not that into you so he doesn't call you back very often and like maybe he said them some things that wooed you into bed with him but that's about it you know like there's no crime with somebody not being interested in you Mm -hmm. and i see a lot of that he's a narcissist and he fed me breadcrumbs and then i stayed there it's like you did that, too. Yeah. Now, there are real narcissists, you know, there are people who just they need fan clubs and they they need constant their egos are so fragile they're they're constantly lying about their accomplishments and blowing themselves up and manipulating situations. They're not as common as we're led to believe with that how that word is thrown around. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, he's a he's he's acting like he wants to date multiple people, and, you know, you took the breadcrumbs and ignored the sixteen other things he said, and there's also selfishness. And narcissism, two different things, right? They're describing selfishness. If
0: if a a dude or a woman or anybody can be selfish, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're
2: a narcissist. Yeah. I don't think the guy's a good guy. I wouldn't date him. I don't want my kids dating him, but- But is he a narcissist? It's not Narcissism is like a, it's a clinical term, you know, it's in the DSM, you know, it's it's a personality disorder.
1: So I want to ask you, we're going to wrap up here soon, but I want to ask you about how you came up with your podcast, um, How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. Did I get the title I, right?
2: I, I you think, did. Yes. I mean, that's, I'm most proud of that damn title. Like that's <laughs> It's like, an amazing title. I love that title. title. I was like, and I've been holding it in my head for a really long time. So I have found that there is a chasm between what is known in the research world about what we can do to prevent aggressive and violent behavior and what is known in the private sector so I'm like how do we people like researchers the ivory tower holds on to stuff and and rightfully so in a lot of cases because if you let the information out it gets bastardized and it's not necessarily what is meant by the research like it can be like in this particular population with these parameters and constraints we found this Mm -hmm. but give that to somebody and they'll be like oh gosh, redheads are violent. <laughs> no, not the case. We just happen to be no, studying I'm in Ireland. Like, yeah, just yeah. Kidding. Like, ignoring the fact that, you know, the study happened to take place, you know, in Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> Where there's a lot of more redheads. There's more redheads yeah. there. So I understand that, but I wanted a, a platform to kind of say like, look, we know a few things about children who are exhibiting these behaviors and what we can do to put them on the right track. I mean, there's some like simple, simple takeaways that are, are life-changing, you know, and like biofeedback.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, it's life-changing. There's no harm in it. So a lot of people will deny their children's bad behavior because they're afraid to get them labeled. they and also the pediatrician has no idea what to do with your cat burning kid. Mm-hmm. But there should be a place you you can go to be like, is there a place? Well, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, and I'm hoping you guys do it. And I'm hoping, I mean, the pod, my podcast definitely, that's all we talk about. I give a crime. I talk about what was in the past that would have been red flags and what you can do if you see this in your kid. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I I encourage everybody to listen to your podcast, how not to raise a serial killer. It is
0: so insightful, but it's also fascinating. Yeah. So
1: now when they're not children, uh, so we were just talking about somebody I loved and the red flags. If there is a, a, you know, somebody dating now in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever age, what are some things that women can look out for and not selecting just like a a serial killer but a violent perpetrator yeah somebody's bad
2: for her just bad in general what are some things to look out for in a partner there are some bad things that you know don't have a lot of red flags like we talked about like some things don't announce themselves other things do so definitely pay attention to temper you know, does someone crack easily? Or can what
1: about you? always blaming uh, their all their problems are somebody else's fault?
2: Accountability is important. Yeah. Just in general, don't
0: you want yeah. somebody who's accountable yeah. to themselves? Whether they're and, dangerous or not, like, yeah. that just wouldn't mm-hmm. be a good
2: partner for me. I mean, I'm would, would you that. like this person as a friend? Does this person make you feel safe? What about safe? a mommy's boy? That, is that oh, a My our, our sons are perfect. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. Uh, I'm like, I'm just gonna screw this kid up. So like, you are perfect. I hate your girlfriend.
0: I <laughs> yeah, hate your wife. Yeah. You're never gonna be good enough for my son. Yeah, he's nine
2: He overheard me say that I wanted a second girl or a gay boy so that he didn't leave me for a woman. And <laughs> he was like, What did you mean by that, mom? He, he overheard it on a podcast I was on. He's oh. like, I'm not gay and you're upset. I'm like, no, I got over it. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just explained to him that as moms, we fail to see the flaws in our kids. Yeah, I do sure. it too. Mm-hmm. But a mommy's boy, I mean, my son isn't going to stay in love with me. Mm-hmm. You need They to, grow out of that. The, the mm-hmm. typical, the normal ones do, you know? And, and you won't continue to be the center of his world.
0: I know. And, I, and I'm really, <laughs> I can see you're, I, I, you're going to crack because you're like, wait. Mm-hmm. No, I totally know too. I have a son as well. And it's like- um, I kind of still am a center of his world, a center, you know, but... I understand that like if and when he gets married and finds a, a lifelong partner, like that is now the most important person that, and then hmm. they have a family issue oh, now. She, no, I she is not, that. she <laughs> is not. Queen, Queen lived inside Queen me. Mich- Dr. Mm. Michelle
2: Ward is just not happy. I already hate her. Sorry if she ever listens to this, but I hate her.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I haven't loved every girlfriend either, you know, but. No, uh, I want my son to be happy. You course, want your son yeah, to be yeah, happy. Yeah, but yeah, up,
2: I mean, yeah, I would, I'm always a little concerned when I love when someone respects and loves their mother. Of course. Like yeah. you want that. But if someone's like, well, my mommy says this, it's like, and you're in your 20s. You're like, annoying. Let's get off the tent oh. and yeah. move on.
0: That's when it becomes annoying. Yeah. We've kept you here. Okay. I, could, I, I could. I know. We could talk about We've kept you Another for session. like a year straight. You are the best. You're a girl's girl. You are so smart. You are so insightful and you're so fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I am a girl's girl. I do like to hang out with chicks. I get that vibe from you. And I have a pretty good vibe to <laughs> on that. I yeah. think so. <laughs> um, but we're. Um, Tell us about current projects you're working on. Where can
2: people watch you, listen to you, all those things? Well, my shows still pop up all the time because I'll get notes from my friends or my kids. Um, So my two shows were how sorry, those are podcasts, stalked someone's watching. And that's, by the way, where you see all the love bombings start with these stalkers. And then the second show I worked on was Mind of a Murderer, which is not to be confused with Mind of a Monster, which is a show on ID that I have nothing to do with, but I do host their podcast, Mind of a Monster. And then I um, host and produce with this group, um, How Not to Raise a Serial Killer.
0: Oh my gosh. So how do you have time to keep your skin in check and glowing? And There's no glowing of the skin. I'm
2: looking, I'm like, what do you mean you guys have adult children?
0: You're like, 100% glowing right now. Yeah. So we'll share those tips offline. It is hot. That yeah. always helps. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys Thank so you. much Thank for having you. me. Thank you. Pleasure was all ours. Hey, lie detectors, leave a five-star rating and drop your favorite lipstick in the review section because we lie detectors don't gatekeep.
1: And follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Lipstick and Lies if you want to see behind the scenes and clips of us recording each episode
0: and be a part of the lie detector community. Executive producers of Lipstick and Lies are Melissa Moore, myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. The podcast is co produced by Cloud 10 Media. Subscribe to Lipstick and Lies so you don't miss an episode. We all know that crime is usually a good old boys' club, but sometimes the truth lies behind lipstick.